Thank you, choir and orchestra. Thank you so much. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas to you all. Merry Christmas to you all back here. It's, it's one of my favorite times of year, Christmas. I'm sure it is yours as well. Will you pray with me as we look to God's word? Father, we're so grateful to hear clearly from your word. We, we admit that we are uh, instruments that need polished. We are in the middle of our sanctification. We are works in progress. And we are so grateful for your mercy to us and how you speak to us clearly through your word. Bless us now, Lord, as we look to you. Amen. Do you think there's a risk of making too much about Mary? Protestants for centuries have felt that way. They feel that devotion to Mary obscures and contradicts the soul sufficiency of Jesus Christ as the unique Savior and the only mediator between God and humans. Protestants fear that when Mary is elevated, Jesus gets lowered. Today's message is an attempt to sort of clear away some misunderstandings about Mary. Think of it a little bit like an old antique. Have you ever purchased an old antique layered over with lots of paint and lacquer? It's as though each generation adds a, a layer of paint and pretty soon the, the antique is not really recognizable for what it is. Today's sermon is an attempt to uncover this beautifully crafted instrument that God ordained to be the mother of his son. My Catholic friends admit that they have beliefs about Mary that they cannot find in Scripture. They know that they're not found in the earliest memory of the church either. There's no biblical teaching or early historical record of Mary's perpetual virginity. That is, the belief that she had no children after Jesus and remained a, a virgin throughout her life. Mary's supposed immaculate conception, that she was born without the stain of original sin. There's, there's really nothing in Scripture to indicate that or in the early historical record. Mary's bodily assumption, taking body and soul into heaven after she died without seeing any corruption at all. That, this extra-biblical teaching was made infallible dogma by Pope Pius XII in 1950. There have been efforts to have Mary officially recognized as mediatrix of all graces and co-redemptrix with Christ. And 500 million Protestants like myself scratch their heads and are confused by these attempts to elevate Mary ever higher. They rightly wonder, won't lifting up Mary bring Jesus down? Yet... In chapter 1 of Luke's gospel, Mary is called blessed three times. She says herself in Luke chapter 1, 48, Behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. All generations? Our generation? How should we regard Mary? Does Protestantism have a place for the blessed Virgin Mary? That's the question before us. How do we understand Mary in a way that is scripturally rooted and theologically sound and that does not obscure 
or contradict in any way the sole sufficiency of Jesus Christ as the unique Savior and the only mediator between God and humanity? Do we make any effort to include ourselves among those of every generation who, according to Scripture, will call Jesus' mother blessed? So, some deify Mary and others ignore her. My prayer this Christmas is that we would hear her story afresh. She has much to teach us through Holy Scripture. Now Mary went to meet Elizabeth, and when she did, the old covenant met the new. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 41, we read, When Elizabeth, her cousin, heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. She was, of course, carrying John the Baptist in her womb and was six months pregnant. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary had traveled to the hill country to see her cousin, who was six months pregnant. Mary Mary is young. Elizabeth is old. Elizabeth's son was to be called John. He's destined to be the greatest prophet of the Old Covenant. John the baptizer would prepare the way and announce the coming of the one who would come after him who was greater than him because he was before him. He was to announce the Messiah. Mary carried within her that Messiah, the Lord of the New Covenant. Their meeting resulted in a spontaneous outburst of joy. For whenever someone calls Jesus my Lord, there's a burst of joy. All heaven explodes with joy when a sinner calls Jesus my Lord. Let me ask you, do you have that joy in you this Christmas season, this Christmas joy? More than a feeling, more than warm fuzzies, The joy of knowing that your sins have been pardoned and you are stain-free, guilt-free before the Holy One. Has the Holy Spirit given you the joy of knowing Jesus, of receiving the gift of salvation that he alone offers? No? Well then, you have not, like Elizabeth, called Mary's child, my Lord. Lord he is. And Lord is what he is deserved to be called. Elizabeth was the first but not the last to confess her faith that Jesus was her Lord. Elizabeth's confession is a a confirmation for Mary. Put yourself in Mary's shoes. Her world has been completely and utterly overturned. Imagine her relief at her older cousin's response. See, she really isn't crazy. God really has chosen her. God's holy presence really did overshadow her, just as he had overshadowed the Ark of the Covenant in the temple. She has a remarkable thing to say about God. She sees that he is about to change the course of human history. He's going to use her, a 15-year-old, a little peasant girl, to do it. The most important three decades in all of time were about to happen. He will lift up this lowly girl. 
The intrigue of first century politics and wars are mere background, mere stage props to the divine drama unfolding to these two obscure, humble women. One is old and barren, the other young and virginal, and through them will come sons who will change the world. Mary is moved by this vision of the greatness and the mercy of God who looks with favor upon the least, the last, and the lowly. Her full heart breaks out in song and expresses a heart overflowing with joy in the gift of God's salvation sent to us. Her song is, in effect, the first Christmas carol and beautifully describes our God, his gift of salvation, and his plan of divine reversal. He truly lifts the humble and lowers the proud. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's what the Bible says. God lifts the humble. Mary's song magnifies the Lord. In verse 46, she proclaims that her soul glorifies, magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, says Mary, for he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And then she proclaims the gospel in verse 50, saying, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary's soul glorifies and magnifies the Lord. John Piper is fond of saying that there are two ways to magnify. A microscope makes small things bigger. A telescope brings big things, huge things, really, close. Mary's soul magnifies God, not with a magnifying glass, making a small thing big, no. Her soul magnifies God like a telescope. Her soul is infused with a sense of how huge God is, how great God is, how magnificent God is, and how great his glorious plan of salvation is. And with the eyes of faith, she sees the greatness of a holy God brought close, closer, closer still, all the way from the grandeur of heaven into her small, fragile, human womb. The womb of a sinner who needed the Savior sent to her. From the very center of her being, then she bursts into praise and spontaneously sings from her heart. Her mind, being soaked in Holy Scripture since youth, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And since youth, she's known the songs and poems of Scripture. She'd heard that Messiah's coming, and the Holy Spirit had chosen to come upon her, and it was really happening. All that had been promised was coming true. Messiah was coming through her. And from the deep, deep imprint of Scripture upon her heart tumbles out this beautiful, powerful, poetic proclamation of praise. It is the last of the Hebrew Psalms and the first Christian praise song. You can call it the first Christmas carol if you like. What an honor for Mary to be the first Christian songwriter as a teenager. I wonder what the tune was. Any guesses what the tune may have been? What style of music was on Mary's iPod? 
Does it matter? One scholar compared Mary's song to an aria in an opera, like a first century Handel's Messiah. We imagine the scene and read our style preference back into it. We want the song, we Americans, to be bigger than Benedict Big. We want a diva in a cavalcade of escalades rolling up to a red carpet on Broadway. But Mary is a peasant girl. She's poor. She lived an uncluttered life, really an obscure life, a hard life. She did not aim to win Israel's Got Talent with her song. She was aiming to magnify the Lord. The only people whose soul can truly magnify the Lord are people like Elizabeth and Mary, people who acknowledge their lowliest state and are overwhelmed by the condescension, the coming down into flesh of a magnificent holy God on behalf of sinners. Mary needed to be saved just like me, just like you. She needed God's grace, his undeserved favor, his unmerited mercy, and it was given to her. Those who think their righteousness somehow deserve God's favor will be humbled, says Mary. Now later in Luke's gospel, the fruit of Mary's womb, the Lord Jesus told a parable And as he told the parable, he began it saying to some who were confident of their own righteousness, who trusted in themselves and looked down on others, treated them with contempt, he told this story. You see, this group of people were the Pharisees, the most religious of all. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the the great martyr of World War II, reflecting on his own heart, wrote, if my sinfulness appears to me, to be in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sins of others, I am still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. Oh, may God humble my proud heart this Christmas so that his grace may make me whole. That's my prayer for you as well. Magnifying the Lord humbles us. When we focus on God, we Lower our proud hearts. Mary's humbled at being chosen. She's more surprised, I'm sure, and probably would be embarrassed today that we were even discussing her. Recall Luke chapter 1, verse 38, where Mary said, Behold, I am the servant, the slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. God chooses Mary, and God chooses whomever he chooses. Mary didn't choose God. She didn't campaign or candidate for the job. God found her, and he prepared a heart of humility in her so that her soul would receive him and magnify him. He didn't choose the most beautiful or the most educated or the wealthiest. He did not choose the most powerful. He chose a weak and lowly thing to shame the wise. God delights to lift up the humble. He enjoys doing his will in people and through people who honor him and worship him with reverence and awe. 
He delights to bless those who desire him and respect him and revere him. He is pleased to lift up those who humbly avoid what is contrary to his will and who genuinely strive to please him by obeying him. Not because he's like Santa Claus, that they might get something out of him, no. But because he himself becomes their ultimate treasure. Maybe you think, that God won't choose you because you are just an unschooled ordinary man or ordinary woman. Perhaps, like me, you lack an Ivy League education and feel that God excludes you from his service. Maybe you think your past excludes you, the shame or pain of sin that you carry. Perhaps the sins are so great that you think that somehow... God's grace is not big enough to cover them. Let me tell you, friend, God's grace is great, greater than your sin. Your sin is is not too powerful to overwhelm God's grace. No, God's grace is greater than your sin, enough to wipe out all of the stain and all of the shame of it. Maybe you think your advancing age or your youth or your lack of, of experience excludes you from being used in his service. All of those things don't really matter, honestly. Because what God is looking for then and now is the same thing he looked for in Mary. He's looking for humble people. He's eager to reveal more of himself to a church family who know their lowly state before Almighty God. So don't yearn for ever higher position. Don't grasp and hold on to power and prestige. The Bible says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. And so we were reminded by Mary that God lifts the humble. Second, she doesn't stop there. She also teaches that God lowers the proud. Look with me at verses 51 to 55. Mary's song of praise predicts the eventual downfall of the proud. She says he's performed mighty deeds with his arm, personifying God's power. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away. Empty, those trusting in their own righteousness, their own riches, he sent them away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering, and here's the gospel, listen to this, he has helped his servant people, his Israel, and we are the new Israel if we are in Christ, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. His mercy extends to those who fear him, Mary says, from generation to generation. Mary is boldly prophetic in these verses. She speaks of what God had done, what God was doing in that moment, and what God would do. All because, all because of this child she's carrying. Every proud person, every proud nation will be scattered. The mighty who sit on thrones will be dethroned. 
God will subdue the four corners of our world and the four corners of our hearts. Specifically, God will scatter, he'll overturn, he'll subdue three things that humans often worship. First, the pride of our own intellects opposed to God. It's good to use your brain in service to God, but when we have pride, when we're puffed up and gassy in our intellect, as I often am, God will humble us. Mary says God has and will scatter the proud in the thoughts of their own heart. Secondly, she says the pride of power. Mary says God has and will bring down the mighty from their thrones. Thirdly, the pride of wealth. Mary predicts God has, God will send the rich away empty. That includes all of us. If we are not in Christ, if we are trusting in our riches instead of his righteousness, we are under a curse. God is not not partial to the powerful. He isn't. He's not impressed with possessions. He's not in awe of my IQ, which isn't very high, by the way. He's not in awe of our EQ or our CQ, our courage, conviction quotient. God isn't impressed with these things. You know how I wish I could pump up my IQ and my emotional quotient and my conviction quotient and and be bigger and better and stronger, but God isn't really impressed with John Panner. He isn't at all. He's impressed with his son. And if I am in his son, by grace through faith in union with Christ, I am welcome into his kingdom and into his family. And my heart can be liberated to truly magnify this almighty God for his rescuing salvation operation that's ongoing in the earth. Christ turns trust in self. Listen, he turns trust in self, which is what the world worships, upside down. Everything we ever thought we could take pride in, if it hasn't already been yanked out from under us, will be yanked out from under us. Not just these three things of intellect, power, and wealth. No, there's more. Our heritage, our ethnicity, our culture, our abilities, skills, gifts, and our core competencies, our our country, our party, all of these things will fade. They are temporary and transitory. A new king is coming. A new king is coming. And he has no need of opinion polls to figure out how to govern his creation. The proud Receive justice. Friend, you can have justice. I don't want justice. I want mercy. That's what I need. I need mercy. And friend, so do you. Let's pray. God of mercy, who modeled for us In the incarnation, the way to live. Renew our faith. Smash our pride. 
strengthen your people. That we might magnify your son. Amen.